A walk-off win. Figgy, the Mets are pretty good in extra innings. Unfortunately, they're not good in nine-inning games where they've been struggling all year. They win on Sunday thanks to Luis Guillorme's walk-off, but they lose two out of three to the Dodgers over the weekend. Yeah, they avoid the sweep, and you are recognizing more and more things that are wrong with this team. Whenever they pitch, they don't hit. Whenever they hit, they don't pitch. So it was much more of the same. But there was some positives that we'll take a look at. Max Scherzer's appearance today. Of course, Robertson uh, continuing to find himself again. And, uh, you know, Senga looked pretty good on Saturday as well. So you have to look for the silver linings and the positives to move forward. Next up are the White Sox. Thank God for Kodai Senga. He is a Mets savior. But what the buck? We will analyze Buck to show Walter's decision-making. We will also be joined by Mets ninth-round pick in the draft, University of Maryland product, the NCAA leader in RBIs this past season with 105. Nick LaRusso joins Amazing But True. It's all coming up on Amazing But True from the New York Post. Next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Queens, New York. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks. It's out of here. We got you. Hunt is off and it's hit over the bag. That's a fair ball down the line and the Mets will win the game. Beatty comes in with the winning run. Luis Guillorme couldn't get the butt down, but he gets the base hit to bring in the winner at the bottom of the 10th. And the Mets win the game 2-1 to one to put an end to this dastardly four-game losing streak. Welcome back to Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast. From the New York Post, I'm your host, Jake Brown, alongside my co-host, former Met Nelson Figueroa. Those highlights you heard courtesy of Pix11 after, could you believe it, a New York Mets victory. What are those? What are those? Well, a win is a win is a win is a win. It may have not been pretty, but took till 10 innings. And we'll talk about the whole weekend as a whole, but the Mets do win Sunday night. After a four and a half hour delay, or actually, I guess it was four because of the 140 game. It was 140 throwing me off, started 5:30, made it in time for the podcast. And joining us a little bit later in the show will be Mets ninth round pick. He led the nation in RBIs. That'll be Nick LaRusso is going to join the program, the University of Maryland Terrapin product. We're looking forward to talking to Nick and his agent hops on Joseph Guzman as well, Figgy. But they had a win Sunday. It was a must win for the Mets. And finally, Figgy, Max Scherzer 
was vintage Max Scherzer, pre-Mets Max Scherzer, pre-September 2022 Max Scherzer. The guy that earned 40, 40 plus million dollars showed up with seven dominant shutout innings of one hit ball. We'll talk about the eighth in a minute with got blowing it, but Luis Guillorme walks it off. Figgy, it felt good to finally get back in the winning column after a four-game losing streak. And now, as we keep saying every week, you got to string wins together with the trade deadline two weeks away from now. When you listen to this show, it's now or never when the White Sox come to City Field on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's an easy one on the schedule, right? It's just the lowly White Sox. None of these games are easy because the Mets continue to play up up or down to the level of their competition, right? We've seen it time and time again. But it was great to see Scherzer. Um, you know, uh, vintage Scherzer, no, I'm I'm still, you know, partial to the Scherzer that used to punch out a dozen. He only struck out six, so half a dozen. I'll take it. Seven innings going deep into the ball game. I think he could have went out there for the eighth, at least started the eighth. 97 um, pitches. I mean, I don't know why he wasn't. Well, you know, uh, 97 pitches and you finish on a good note, right? So I think you take that one hit, the Dodgers. That's not an easy task. This is a team that puts the ball in play. They don't strike out a ton. You know, like I said, only six strikeouts. Um, he did a really good job of keeping them off balance. And, you know, he found his slider today. So he's been missing this slider all season long, complaining about how it's not spinning nearly as tight as in years past. I don't know if he was looking for excuses before, but if that's the pitch that is getting you in trouble, stop using it. And today I saw him when he fell behind in the count, he was using his changeup to get back into the count and then putting guys away with that slider. One of the nastiest ones he threw with Freddie Freeman. Um, that's a vintage type slider cutter. Um, with that darting action, when he's able to do that, then that's a pitch that he can use and is very serviceable and can, you know, continue to keep hitters off balance. But I think what we saw out of him was he was confident with all his stuff. Um, it wasn't perfect. You know, I was watching some of the, uh, I think they did a highlight when they were about to pull him out after the seventh. And Ronnie was saying, you know, he was pinpoint with all of his pitches and with the show and the replay and balls were missing their locations, but they were swinging and missing and things like that. So wasn't perfect, but he got better as the game went on and he continued to find a way to use all his pitches and keep those hitters off balance. That's what he's capable of doing. And Scherzer talked about that slider that you said, stop throwing. Well, it seems like he's figured out the problem. Nick, let's hear what Scherzer had to say about that slider after the game. Uh, you start, you know, connecting the dots of why, why I've been hanging sliders. You know, the other pitch has been, you know, pretty, pretty good. But I've been, you know, like I said, I've been getting beat on sliders and sliders in the zone. I couldn't figure it out for the life of me because, you know, the whole time, you know, I'm, you know, I keep thinking in my head that I'm executing these things down away and they're hanging. And so, um, you know, it's, at least I think I found out today what that what that issue is, and that's been, you know, my left foot. And so that's the simplest stupidest answer uh, there is but that's pitching biggie explain what that means as a pitcher what he's talking about with his left foot and and how that affected the slider well what i think it has to do with is two things there's two things that happens with your left foot whether it's his stride length and if he's over striding trying to reach out and make that pitch move a little bit extra by overstriding, you wind up making your release point a little bit further back. That means that the ball is going to be hanging. You don't get the ball to go downward. It loses that sharpness. Um, the other thing is, is direction. The left foot provides you direction. So if he's landing across his body, but on his slider, maybe he's pulling open a little bit, that leaves your arm behind as well, and the ball winds up just spinning in place. 
And those are the balls that get hit a long, long way. So I think he's going to crossfire a little bit more, keep himself a little more closed towards a right-handed hitter, say, and be able to deliver the ball down and away across his body where he can yank that ball a little bit at the end and get that downward bite that he's looking for for his slider. That's pitchhub.com here. <laughs> Amazing but true podcast with Nelson Figueroa. Uh, yeah, I mean, he needed it. And listen, this is a guy that we talked about. If they become sellers, he's on the trade block. So if the Mets, you know, only are winning on Scherzer days, then Scherzer could be on another team in, in two weeks. And that's going to be an interesting thing to watch if they do become sellers. Like he said, it's up to Steve. If he says sell, then he might waive that no trade clause and want to go to winner because you know, Scherzer, Verlander, these veterans, these though, I mean, those are really the two veterans, the near 40-year-olds, who are not going to want to be on a meaningless team for two months where they can maybe go elsewhere. Scherzer is really the one guy. But, you know, Verlander again Friday, a very lackluster outing. It seems like he just cannot get into the sixth inning. He was over 100 pitches in the fifth inning, laboring, and it was rough to watch. But, you know, outside of that, the real story this weekend, this team couldn't hit. I mean, we keep saying when they pitch, they don't hit. When they hit, they don't pitch. They pitched decently, but could not hit this weekend. I mean, four hits combined Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It took a Luis Gourmet walk off on an infield in when they probably shouldn't have been. When finally the bunt was on, when it wasn't on Saturday with Mark Canna first and third, no out in the eighth inning. Can you please send the bunt sign for the love of Jake Brown? Do it for me, Buck. I mean, do something different. Your team is trash. Like we gave the stats out last week with a runner at third and no out, one out. They stink with two outs. Oh, they're good. I mean, those at bats can a first pitch pop out. Beatty, lefty, lefty, three swings that weren't major league swings. And then Luis Guillermo looked like he didn't even belong at Syracuse. He belonged with the rumble ponies on those swings against the lefty. And, you know, they were man down with Marte out with the sickness. So they were kind of screwed, but the bats look bad Saturday for most of Sunday. They look bad. And, you know, the key guys, Figgy, I mean, your guys, Pete Alonzo is about to be at the interstate. I mean, he's about to be at 200 and your best hitters who you hope would be carrying you have just been absolutely dreadful this weekend. But I think they're like two for 27 since the all-star break Lindor McNeil two for 29. That's a nice but not nice. Oh, 69 since the all-star break. You need your stars to hit. You can't just have these starters pitch good and the back end pitch good. Yeah. You know, we said before that the break may come at an unfortunate time, right? They won six in a row. They head into uh, against the Padres. They lose two out of three there as well, but still it's a, it was on a good note. Uh, you know, the way that they were playing, they were scoring a ton of runs. Um, Lindor was catching fire. McNeil was waking up, you know, we saw a lot of good things, uh, Alvarez was hitting the cover off the ball, you know, since, you know, they've, they've come back and Pete has been a very big question mark. We keep giving him a pass. Um, you know, this was a guy that we thought would hit around 270, 275, drive in a hundred, hit over 30, 40 home runs. He's uh, at 207 know. right now. Yeah, it's 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 getting worrisome. And, uh, you know, you can see it. You can see it on him. You can see it. It's 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 affecting his his defense. Even his defense has been getting a little shaky. He's been making bad throws, bad plays, making errors uncharacteristically. And you see the pressure mounting on him because he knows he's one of the guys that have to step. has to step up. So I never thought, you know, he would look. Uh, like Dave Kingman, we're getting into those kind of numbers of for batting average on base percentage. He's got to get on. These guys have to figure out a way to have better at bats, get a walk, walk work a walk in there every now and then, not bunt necessarily, but 
uh, on base percentage is a, a big deal, especially at the top of that lineup. You've got to get on, man. And if they're not going to give you anything to hit, quit chasing, quit popping up in the infield, quit trying to do something that that you're not capable of. It's it's really getting frustrating. I can't even imagine how frustrated he is because he keeps going back and he feels like he's just missing pitches, just missing pitches. It's like him and Vogelback switched all of a sudden. By the way, unless the Mets don't win unless Vogie's in. Uh, that, that's the way it works, right? You've seen him in his last, I guess it was uh, before the Padres series. He was in those last two games in I'm not um, going to go that far. Arizona. Not, oh, he was. Dramatic about it. He was. I got a buddy who texts me all the time. He goes, you want to win, put Vogie in. And then, yeah, then again, you, then today, you got to waste a guy pinch running for him. And But then again today, well, did it work? He, I mean, he, he got a hit. It's not like it won them the game. He got a score. hit. Uh, Stewart stole the base. Of course, of course Marte missed Barely. the hanging slider, so it could have been over uh, much sooner. But the fact is that they won the game. Um, Guillaume comes through uh, the bunt attempt where he gets a ball thrown at him. He wasn't a big fan of that, of course. But then he goes out there and he sits on something soft and away, pulls it down the right field line. And as you said earlier, all's well that ends well. So they need every game that they can possibly get. So there is no uh, little victories. There is no meaningless victories. They've got to find a way to catch fire again and do more than six in a row. They got to start putting more like eight or ten in a row together. And Saturday night, I was on fire at the ballpark. You saw I tweeted a reaction video because it was worthy after the game. I mean, Saturday, I mean, this team right now is eight and a half out, 43 and 50. Of course, you got to beat the White Sox this week. I mean, it's really getting enough of you got to win a series. You really got to start sweeping somebody. And it starts with the White Sox coming to town. And, you know, I did say in the reaction Saturday, I'll go Tuesday for the basketball jersey giveaway. And then I'm done. And, of course, I was there Sunday. But I love a I love a sweet, you know. I mean, they had the, they had mac and cheese, bra- braised short rib mac and cheese, and freaking look at these just cinnamon sugar pretzels. Whoa, whoa. I that mean, I know this this looks a little graphic right now if you're watching on video, but this, this with icing right now was unbelievable. Like, uh, did you get that from uh, TJ Rivera's locker? <laughs> no, there was no rally dildos, but there were. The cinnamon. I mean, look at this thing. I'll take a bite right now since they oh, warm up. Oh, I can't wait. Oh god, it's delicious. This is a bold thing. Better than the churro nachos. What this has topped the churro nacho? Which, by the way, no longer available. They replaced it with salad. Salad. Who goes to a baseball game and says, "I'll have a Caesar salad, please." The vinaigrette or balsamic. I don't even know the, the titles of these. I don't eat salad. <laughs> salad. And I feel bad because the lady who runs it, I was roasting the place. I was like, oh, man, I missed the churro nachos. What are this salad? She's like, oh, you should eat healthy. I'm like, damn, you call me fat. You're right. Yeah, you did. And, and I was like, but I want to eat unhealthy. I was like, does your restaurant have anything unhealthy? And she's like, no, it's all healthy. It's good for you. I'm like, damn it. She's calling me a fat ass. <laughs> so they had these healthy, like not even milkshakes. They were like, those like healthy drinks, purple with a bunch of veggies in it. Those and then it was called a goddess wrap, but it was nothing but a goddess. It was all vegetables. It was like all these different things. It wasn't like chicken parm in there. It was uh, something nasty. Anyways, better than the churro nachos. Now they only have them in the sweets, but they have a version of this, which I didn't realize. Hearts uh, tweeted it upstairs called the twist. So you could do the twist. He said it's in section 417. And the Piazzi Club, in case you're not as bougie as Jake, which is right, but easily the best thing. Anyway, I went off on a food tangent there. I got a little not excited. Odd, very odd. Sunday, great. They won a game, but and you could talk about with this team. 
Of course, they had to hit more this weekend. They didn't hit enough. But in these close games, Buck Showalter has pushed every wrong button in sight. If there are two doors, one is death, the other survival, he's been choosing death every time. Like one of those like Disney movies, like where the magical door open, you know, the, the mm-hmm. line, the witch in the wardrobe. He's been on the wrong side of the wardrobe. Um, that was a terrible reference. Anyways, <laughs> Sunday, Max Scherzer pitching to Jen. 97 yep. pitches. Yep. Instead of leaving him in even for one or two batters, that's option one. Instead of going to Brooks Raley, who's been your second best reliever after David Robertson. Instead of going for David Robertson for six outs, who hasn't pitched in nine days, he decides to go to Trevor Gott. Ooh. The, the guy who just got here. Got, got. Got here, and he got got. He's got a career four, four, five, five year right in a one run game. It bothers me. Like, where is the sense of urgency? Buck Showalter manages sometimes like it's April or May and not a game you need to win. And that pissed me off. But Saturday to not get that runner home was like figgy. I mean, you were watching infuriating first and third, no out. Tana first pitch pop up, strikeout, strikeout. I know you make fun of me for saying bump, but like do something different. Try something different. And then on to add insult to injury leading up to that, I mean, DJ Stewart, we talked about why is he here, drops a fly ball in right field, and his foot and the ball happen to be just on the left side of the of the line. It turns into a double. That run scores. Adovino blows it. And then Brett Beatty drops a pop-up. It's the Ringley Barnum Bailey Circus. It's a strict comedy of errors. Sunday, they get lucky because Nimmo, it's a double play, but the pitcher drops it. That scores a run. And then, like I said, the infield in on two strikes probably should have been back. It's been a comedy of errors. And, like, we keep saying put a string of wins together. But, Figgy, this doesn't look like a team capable of it. It doesn't look like a team managed to do it. Buck talked about I wouldn't call them bad at bat Saturday. He makes media people feel dumb when they question his decisions, when everyone's questioning them. I don't know. I just don't know anymore about this guy. And if they don't make the playoffs, it seems like he'll probably be gone. But, you know, I thought if they lost Sunday, Monday might be firing. But it's just a string and comedy of errors and not enough adjustments from this team. And it it bothers them. And I'll correct the adjustment that we need to make, that Barnes is the hitting coach, not Chavez, like we said last week. So the approach is bad. The managing is bad. I just – I'm not confident, Figgy, they could put a string of – 14 out of 16 games together, get over 500 and turn this thing around. Yeah, no, it, it's an uphill battle. That's w- w- without a doubt. Um, you know, you want to see the guys that are going to be expendable playing better, but if they're playing better and they're helping you win, are they expendable? It, it, it's a big catch 22, but I think it goes down to the wire who they wind up trading. Anybody on a one-year deal, anybody who they can, they're not going to save any money on it. They're probably going to have to pay down those contracts to get any kind of prospect um, back uh, just to take them off their hands. So, you know, uncle Stevie said that money's already spent. It was budgeted for it's already spent. So he's not worried about it. And at the same time, if he can get assets back, then they're going to pay, you know, most of their contract anyway, and and make sure that they get a better type of prospect. So there are some guys that, you know, will, will be in not high high demand, but there's going to be a fallout after Otani goes somewhere. That's for sure. You know, there's going to be a fallout after, you know, maybe you hear Juan Soto's name being mentioned. So after those big, big premier guys are going, there's got to be, you know, other guys. Remember, the Braves went out there when Acuna went down and they get, went out and got four guys 
who weren't on career years, weren't doing anything otherworldly, but they've had some experience before of playing at a high level. And they put those guys together, carried themselves to a World Series, and each of those guys uh, got pretty good contracts afterwards. So I think that's one of the scenarios that you see happening, the more likely scenario of things happening where they're going to be sellers rather than buyers. And then what is it going to be? Is it time to tear it all down to the studs or is it, you know, are they going to try and reload? I think that a new baseball ops person is going to have a huge say in what direction that this team is going. Um, Epler has tried. They won 101 games. Uh, this might be the craziest thing, right? Manager of the year, 101 games, next year fired. And, and is that all put on him? No, obviously the player's performance is dictated. Um, but am I being too harsh on Buck? Like, am I right here? Do you see what I'm seeing? Like, he just is not the same manager. Well, I, I don't know if it's not the same manager. There are always internal things. And I, I'm feeling in my heart of hearts, he is not in the same amount of command as he was last year. In my He's heart of hearts. locker room a little bit. In my, well, not lost the locker room. I wouldn't say that. I think more so that the analytics department got beefed up in the offseason because they won 101 games, so they want to do more analytics. Remember, a lot of the minor league coaches that were that had major league experience got fired, and they brought in a lot of guys who are very big on analytics and numbers-savvy type coaches and managers. So I think that, that narrative is getting pushed down, is getting pushed across Buck's desk more and more, and it seems to me like a lot of it is him you know, saying – Things like, you know, he's kind of misdirection with his quotes now. Like he's he's trying to steer you away from what's obvious in front of you, that this team isn't doing things the same way they were doing it. And it's not the coaching staff, right? The coaching staff is pretty much still the same. It's not Buck normally, but some of these moves, they, they leave you scratching your head, right? Of the guys that he's using, the guys that are even up here right now and the, the the personnel, if you're in a win now mode and by all costs, then why do you have certain guys up here right now and you don't have a more talented younger you know uh exciting type of bunch when you were all about the baby mets just a few months ago now it's like vientos is still doing his thing down there you still have mauricio but you're holding their trade value to what you're not going to be able to lure the big fish here uh when you're 15 games out of for uh you know well, 18 games out of first place but it's starting to get ridiculous how he's not here and dj stewart is here dropping pop-ups like what is going I on I, I I can't I listen and Tommy is, Pham not in the IL but he can't play the field like you're just wasting a roster spot Tommy Pham's unavailable like what is with the Mets and being a man down Figgy I mean that should be the title of their memoir this season one man down that's a that's another thing right and that that's one of the things that goes to again roster construction the moves that are made a, a manager I used to say this about Terry Collins all the time I said Terry Collins is basically a poker player if you give him the right cards he plays a good hand but if you give him terrible cards to play you give him Campbell and Mayberry and all those guys what do you want want him to do with that what are you expecting him to do with that it's very difficult to manage when you're underhanded it's very difficult to manage when you're uh understaffed uh, with the with the level of players that you see to your right and your left of what are your options and then i think honestly i think that the options are listed for him in the way that they are to be used or not used it just doesn't seem like you said the urgency isn't there he knows the reality of what's going on he knows what like th there's no reason I get it. You got Trevor Gott in a, in a trade. Well, we got to put him in here if it's the eighth inning. You know what I'm saying? He's a former closer. We got to see what we got in him. No, you don't. You don't have to. Okay? And even after the second guy 
I, I know you can't pull him out. He has to face three guys, but it was, it was, it, you couldn't come out fast enough to turn him over. And listen, Saturday, I mean, two-one game, Grant Hardwick. And listen, Grant Hardwick's been good, but what are you doing there? Like, just the sense of urgency. And it's almost like he's managing to get fired so he can get paid for the rest of his check and head to Aruba. That's how Buck has been managing because going to Grant Hardwick and Trevor got against a World Series championship contender in the Los Angeles Dodgers with the lethal lineup that they have, who are now going to run through and grab the NL West because the Diamondbacks are struggling and have come down to earth and the Dodgers are the Dodgers. It's just not a good manager. And it's it's bizarre because it seemed he pushed the right buttons last year. And you do wonder with the with the offense is changing from Chavez to Barnes. Now Chavez went to bench coach, had to get the upgrade because other teams wanted to grab him, got the pay bump. You know, I've heard that he stays still involved with the offense, but you wonder if changing to Barnes has changed the approach, the more analytics, the money they put into that. Like you talked about, has that changed things? Because this team just looks like they have a different approach. Your your big hitters are struggling. This isn't the same offense that you know works three count three two counts all the time, Figgy. You're just not. Yeah, safe. well, we even talked about this with Vogelback, right? They gave him the mental break, and when he was talking during the mental break, he was saying how they were looking at the numbers and his hard hit percentage was right there, and it was. He was second on the team, I think, to Pete Alonso. But it doesn't matter what your hard hit percentage is if you're not swinging the bat, right? How many times have we seen him take strike three or take the good pitches down the middle and then swing at balls in the dirt? Those kinds of things. So he said it was a matter of approach. I'm the same guy. And he came out and he swung great in Arizona. And you were thinking, all right, you know, he's turning it around a little bit. And I'm not sit here to be like, oh, well, Vogie's figured it out. But there, there was there's a point in time where the analytics or the numbers of, of how to – play baseball uh, or how to hit a baseball and play baseball are two different things. You know what I'm saying? Like in case in point, uh, Guillaume today, that swing. Do I care what the exit velo was on that? Do I, do I care if the guy was playing in the wrong place in the wrong position? No. What I care about is put the bat on the ball, put the ball in play, made something happen. It's a game winner. Right. So that, that there's the element of playing baseball. It's an old school feel. It's a, a simple concept. See the ball, hit the ball. He just had a uh, cutter thrown at him, you know, to, to shake him up while he's trying to bunt. They were hoping that he would bunt the ball up in the air or pop it up or whatever. And, you know, that's one of the things that you want from your players is, hey, I got to take a step back. I know the pitch clock is running, but I got to get back in there, know what I'm trying to do. And he did a great job of that today. So. Look at the Yankees. We were talking about this on WPIX with Sean Casey being the guy. Why Sean Casey of all people? Well, he talks baseball. He knows baseball. He struggled. He had success. He knows all these things. You have a, a hitting coach who changed over their whole hitting philosophy from minor league level onto the big leagues, and he's never put on a uniform. He's never swung a bat. He's never had to get booed. He's never had to get booed. DJ LeMahieu does not want to be booed. He's not a 200 hitter. This is a guy who's a silver slugger award winner, a guy who hits the ball opposite field. You know, so you take those kinds of things and you move it over to different organizations. And yeah, they're building out all these coaching staffs. They're, they're, now that, you know, you have an assistant to this guy, assistant to that guy, a game strategist, a quality control guy. There's so much over coaching that baseball gets clouded in it. And the simplest thing to do is see ball, hit ball, put the ball in play. But yeah, it's a guy who's never done it. And that's why I think Sean Casey was a great hire. Guy was a great hitter and he's done it before, you know? So that's why, you know, guys like Jeremy Hefner, he was a great pitcher, but he pitched for, for a while and he's the pitching coach, but enough of the coddling, you know, Buck Walter 
on Brett Beatty's circus pop-up drop. It's not as easy to make a look. It starts out in foul territory and drifts all the way back where he saw it ended up. Brett Beatty said, I got to make that catch. If Beatty's saying it, you could call him out too. Your own player shouldn't be calling him out, and the manager's saying the opposite. They're just not on the same page there. And then, you know, when he said, I wouldn't agree with non-competitive just because there was a result we hope we get. Competing their butt off is not easy. Ferguson's a really good pitcher. I mean, you can't keep babying the guys. You're eight and a half games out of a third wild card, and you're a billion out of the division. Now's the time to be like, we sucked. You guys need to be better. Let's get to work. Because if you're going to say, oh, it was great, it was a tough play, they're thinking, oh, my my boss thinks that was fine that I dropped the ball. It was a tough play. That's not a winning mindset. That's not a championship mindset. And there's a mental part of this game. So I think Buck has to be better. It's amazing but true. Jake Brown, Nelson Figueroa. The Mets will take on the White Sox this week. I mean, they just can't catch a break. Jose Quintana, flu-like symptoms, has now been pushed back to Thursday for his debut. Thursday afternoon of a podcast after the game that will drop on Thursday night. It'll be Carrasco, Verlander, Quintana against a 15-game under 500 White Sox. Like, really go sweet. And I'll go Tuesday. I'll get my Mets basketball jersey because I have been looking forward to that giveaway. I'm sure it's going to be a crappy jersey. Um, But I just found out my buddy Charles Jenkins, who played in the NBA, Hofstra legend, the greatest player in Hofstra history. He'll be there. So we'll see Charles Jenkins, and we'll get a basketball jersey and hang with the Hofstra basketball legend. Um, so that'll be coming up this week. And speaking of a college legend, this guy had 105 RBIs for the University of Maryland Terrapins this past season. He was the Mets ninth round pick in the Major League Baseball draft, and his name is Nick LaRusso. And he's gonna join Amazing But True next. I always every time we win, I hope it's a starting point of some, some consistent good baseball, and it starts with pitching. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back. Amazing but true podcast. Jake Brown and Nelson Figueroa here with our special guest in the building today on the show. My brother went to the University of Maryland. So by my brother, I'm a Terps fan. Uh, I went to Hofstra and we weren't very good at sports and we got rid of my football team after my freshman year. So I did root for Maryland, and this guy was drafted in the ninth round this year by the New York Mets. He was a third baseman for the Terrapins and a Monroe, Connecticut native, Massac High School. I lived in Trumbull. We got the, the Connecticut connection. We got the Terps connection. The only connection we don't have is I was not first in NCAA and RBIs with 105. I did not hit 379 last year in 61 games. I did not steal three bases. I didn't have a 446 OBP, and uh, I wasn't one of the first D1 players in 20 years to get 100 RBIs, but this guy was. Let's welcome to the show, to Amazing But True, Nick LaRusso. Nick, how you doing, man? Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Doing great. Yeah, it's good to uh, have you on. Welcome to the New York Mets. Congratulations. Uh, We won't admit that you were a Yankee fan growing up, but you were. Now you have to make the switch. It's fine. Adam Adovino was too, and he's made it just fine. And uh, you're here with your agent, Joseph Guzman, Empowerment Sports Group. Thanks, Joseph, for setting up. Joseph's in the 115-degree heat. 
you are bowling at Duffy's in Port St. Lucie and maybe getting half off apps at Applebee's and uh, enjoying the heat of Florida. What's it like so far? I mean, you're a couple weeks in here. What was the feeling when you got your name called by the New York Mets? You know, definitely an amazing experience, but uh, definitely a difficult one too. You know, I had, I had a bunch of friends drafted, whether it was from Maryland or from Villanova, where I previously was, that told me the process was a little hard and a little difficult at times. And, you know, I kind of took that with a grain of salt and was like, you know what, I'm, I'm ready for whatever. But, uh, you know, as the draft kept going along, it definitely was a, a pretty difficult process. But, you know, hearing my name called by, you know, such a great organization in the New York Mets, I, I couldn't be happier. So when you heard your name was called by New York and it wasn't the Yankees, was that a little bit of a downer? <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Childhood dream. But, uh, you know, I've I've been to New York plenty of times. You know, what a city. Um, what great fans as well. And uh, I'm excited to work my way through, uh, you know, the minors and, and hopefully get there one day. Biggie, you were undrafted, right? Whoa, whoa, watch your mouth. I just want to make sure I have that 30th, right. 30th round draft pick out of a Division three school. And, yes, I played in the major leagues. What did you do again? Uh, I ate a really good uh, cinnamon pretzel with icing tonight at the game, actually. So I think I win tonight. Um, but, you know, you wait till 276, and baseball is different. Ninth round is not that deep. But was it like frustrating? Did you think you were going to go there? Were you happy going there? I, I don't know how rounds work in baseball, like like the NFL or NBA. But what was that weight like? And you know, were you happy where you went? Yeah, so definitely, like you said, it's it's very different. It's not necessarily the best player off the board first. You know, money's involved in in all of it. But uh, throughout the whole process, I was hearing kind of you know rounds five to seven and uh you know as round seven went by and i you know i didn't get a call you know my my stomach dropped a little bit but um you know as the eighth round started rolling on we heard from plenty of teams you know all with high interest and that we heard from before and uh you know as soon as you know i you know gave an offer that uh you know they liked uh you know, a bunch of these teams said yes and i knew my name was going to come off the board soon but uh you know like you said again the new york mets you know just Terrific organization throughout the years. And, uh, you know, I couldn't be happier where I am right now. And now what's the plan? Did they tell you exactly where you're headed? Not yet. We're do we're doing all the physical tests and, and all the, you know, EKGs and all that. But uh, they'll tell us that within the next couple of days, I'm sure. Yeah, I know one of the things, you know, you're going from Division One program and the numbers that you put up are unbelievable to, to think that you would last that long. And, um, you know, that's... It's not only frustrating, but at the same time, I think for myself as a 30th round draft pick, I sat back and it was, a, you know, worrying about the money. And I remember the negotiations were very easy. The scout, Paul Beretta, may rest in peace, said, uh, we've got 2500 for you and uh, your last year of school paid for. And I'm like, I'm looking more like 25 grand. You know, I got to buy something for mom and dad. And he's like, yeah, about 2500 and the last year of school paid for. And I kept going back and forth. And finally, my mom said, what do you want to do? What have you always wanted to do? I want to be a professional baseball player. And who's giving you an opportunity? The New York Mets. And growing up as a Met fan, I was like, that's all I need. So just to get your foot in the door. And now it's all up to you what you're able to do with it, right? So that bonus doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what people get paid once the, the signings are done. Now, what do you plan to do once you get there to make sure that you knock that door down? Yeah, like you, like you said, you know, the money doesn't really matter. And, and to me, you know, at this point, everybody's the same. Whether you're a first-round pick or a 20th-round pick, they're all going to treat you the same. 
and you're all at the same starting point right now. You know, obviously the guys with a little bit more money and higher, you know, draft picks may have a little bit more leverage, but at the same point, you know, we're all working, you know, as hard as we possibly can to, you know, get to that next step and get to that next level. Cause, uh, you know, ultimately we want, we all want to be competing for championships at the big league level. You'll be 23 next year. Correct. So do, do you feel like you might have the edge because you did have more experience? Like Figgy said, I mean, your numbers, number one at homers, number one, RBIs, number one at bats, number one, total base, number one, extra base hits, number one with a 31 game hitting streak. That's pretty damn good. Do you feel like the extra years, you know, a lot of guys leave early and you being there could give you a leg up on some of the competition. Yeah, absolutely. And and with that experience comes confidence. And I feel like that's something that, you know, skyrocketed throughout the entire year this year is that, you know, when I got my when I got out, I got myself out and there was not really a pitcher at times that beat me. And, you know, I kind of was educated enough to, you know, see what I did wrong in certain at bats and learn from it. And, uh, you know, like I said, the confidence level was as high as it ever was. So, uh, you know, definitely a little bit of an a little bit of an edge, you know, maybe a little bit more of an edge over those high schoolers. But, uh, you know, I feel like as long as I keep that confidence, uh, you know, the sky's the limit. Just to add to that, um, Maryland does a great job of developing players. You know, Matt Swope was monumental with his um, development there and um, really prepared him for these years. So I think that that was really beneficial for him because he really took off the last two years. Um, they do a great job with individualized plans uh, to make sure that guys are are doing the things that they need to do according to their body and their profile. So, you know, that last game that um, they played against Wake, he had two bombs that night against Rhett Lauder, you know, first rounder. The game didn't start till after 10 o'clock. So it was pretty impressive to see that um, against a top top arm. And, um, you know, a lot of credit to Maryland and the program and, and all of his hard work, obviously, but he followed the plan. Uh, listen, it's one thing to do it and do it again. You In your junior year, of course, 322, 15 home runs, 70 RBIs. I mean, you shattered those numbers. Those were decent numbers. Don't get me wrong. What did you do to prepare yourself that pushed you to another level? I would just feel like, you know, going over the stuff with Matt Swope and, you know, like Joseph said, he kind of came up with the ind- individualized and personal plan that worked best for my body and how my body likes to move. And, uh, you know, as we incorporated that from the fall, you know, all the way through the winter and ultimately in the spring, it, it just took off to another level. And I was able to educate myself on a lot of different things that I didn't really know could help me generate more power and more, you know, exit velocities and all that. But, uh, you know, just following that plan and, you know, staying with my approach definitely helped. So a question, is it teacher man involved or? No, not, <laughs> not teacher man. He, yeah. uh, it's funny. We had, we had this whole like doctor kind of do a bunch of tests with us. It, it was some crazy stuff, but uh, you know, I wish I could explain it a little bit better. He's actually coming out with a book pretty soon and I'm, I'm pretty excited to read it because it's not only baseball players, it's, you know, all athletes, all people and how, you know, their body likes to move and put themselves in positions that, you know, their body's comfortable in. Yeah, that's very important. I mean, I think people have to understand that not everybody can do the same swing. So when you see the teacher man and what we're talking about, Jake, teacher man is the guy who his claim to fame is Aaron Judge, you know, six foot seven, 282 pounds. And every time he miss hits a ball, still goes out 314 feet. Not everybody can do that. Right. So he teaches this style of swing that a lot of guys are trying but they're becoming more and more unsuccessful. It's not something not everybody can do. So it's very important to find out what works for your body, the way you move and capitalize on the things that you do really, really well, because for hitting, of course, if you make out seven out of 10 times, you're an all-star. 
So what you're trying to do is make sure that those outs are hard outs and the continued hard outs get you, uh, what was it, th- uh, 31 game hitting streak? That's right. Uh, that's very impressive. Uh, the longest in college sports. Do you know what that is, Jake? Do you know how long that was? Well, I'm still, I wouldn't know a teacher man. I know the son of a preacher man, but I don't know what teacher man was. So that was like German to me, whatever you were just talking about, Figgy. It, it's just a guy who came up with a style of swing and and it works for Aaron Judge and it works for pretty much guys that are 6'7", 280 pounds. Um, <laughs> exactly. Other than that, uh, there's a lot of guys who've tried it and have actually gone backwards in their development. So it's great to see, you know, that that he was able uh, to find something that works for him. But as I was saying, the longest streak, what was it? 58 games, right? Robin Ventura? Robin Ventura, yeah. 58 games. So 31 is impressive. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> 58 by Robin Ventura. Shout out to the ex-Met Robin Ventura. So uh, you're following some very, very, uh, you know, good shoes, big shoes to fill. And you're an infielder. What's your best position? Uh, third base. Do you, do you play second, first, short? Like if the Mets were to move you around right now, the Mets have Brett Beatty. We'll see if he's there, you know, in four years or five years, maybe three years, oh, whatever well, your time. Man, man I'll say three, you know, advanced. I'm already bumping them up. <laughs> All right. I'll say three, but you know, if Beatty's there and they need a second baseman, they won't need a shortstop for the next decade. Um, but if you had to move, can you move around? Yeah, absolutely. My time, my playing days at Villanova. Um, actually I was a two way. So, uh, it was funny. I'd play, um, third on Friday, pitch Saturday, then move to first on Sunday. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I've definitely had all my experiences, uh, around the infield and then obviously short and then obviously shortstop my entire high school. Yeah. Yeah. I saw you pitch a little bit. Uh, are you, are you Shohei Otani jr? I mean, you have the last name LaRusso, so you might be a karate kid too. If you know, uh, if you ever watched that show, a uh, Cobra Kai, no, it's not a show. It's a move. Oh, no, no, the Cobra Kai and Netflix, the, the you know, you know, the new version uh, with Daniel LaRusso, the car dealership. So I don't think there's any relation there with a fictional character. But uh, do you see yourself pitching or was that kind of just a college high school thing? No, that was definitely a college high school thing. And, uh, you know, I can't do it as well as I used to. But, uh, you know, I focused on hitting and I feel like that was something, you know, big when you talk about, you know, you know, what spike the numbers up a little bit is I was able to, you know, mainly just focus on hitting and, you know, obviously being a two way, you got to do both. You know, I practice all the time. It, it definitely takes a toll on your body and on your arm. And, uh, you know, this year was definitely, you know, some of the best my body's felt in a long time. We're talking to Nick LaRusso here on amazing, but true podcast for a few more minutes uh, with his agent as well. Joseph Guzman. We got two Guzmans. We got the intern, Nick Guzman and Joseph Guzman. The Guzman's being well represented. No relation. I don't think um, we appreciate you coming on here. Let's, let's do a little rapid fire here for Nick. Let's get to learn who you are. Let's start off with who is your hitter comparison. If there's a major league hitter that you look up to, or you inspired your swing after, who is it? I would say Nolan Arenado, you know, that guy is as cool as it comes when it, when, you know, he's at the plate, you know, I feel like myself, I have a slow heartbeat and that's something that my teammates and coaches tell me all the time, you know, in high pressure situations. And I feel like Nolan, see, he always seems so relaxed when he's hitting. So, you know, I definitely try to model my game after him. You say defensively to Nolan or just at the plate? No, but yeah, I'll do hitting and fielding. <laughs> do whatever that guy's doing, chewing bubble gums, whistling, whatever he does. Yeah. <laughs> any, any superstitions you have? No, I try to stay away from those. <laughs> you know, since it's the Yankees that you grew up loving, uh, if you could face one Yankee pitcher, who would it be? 
All time, I would have to say Mo. He got it. I mean, people still to this day, I don't know how people just couldn't hit the cutter. And I just want to see it. I want to see it for my own eyes. I want to see even when they knew it was coming, they still couldn't hit it. So I, I would definitely love to see that. What's your favorite ballpark? You've been to City Field. You've been a Yankee. You've been all the local parks. I have, but to this day, and and my parents actually just moved out there. My favorite is Coors Field in Colorado. I feel like it's absolutely beautiful there, and you know, obviously the ball flies, and we love that as hitters. But uh, it's definitely an awesome park, and definitely one of the underrated ones, I would say. If you weren't a big leaguer, what would you be doing? Or hopefully a big leaguer, I should say. But yeah, oh, well, you said it right. <laughs> when he's a big leaguer, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would have pursued, you know, my, my second love, which was, which was football. You know, I grew up playing that and, you know, I dedicate, you know, some of my, you know, you know, mental toughness and toughness on the field to that. And, uh, you know, I had, uh, I had, um, one of our offensive coordinator coaches at, uh, at high school when I played my senior year, he ended up taking, you know, a division two offer and tried to get me to move over, uh, to his school as a wide receiver. But, uh, Definitely something that that I was proud of and definitely something I would have tried to pursue if I wasn't playing baseball. All right. What non, non-athletic non job? Like, don't say Blake Bortles ripping stick <laughs> doing construction work like he said. What what average man's job would you be doing? Oh, man. I don't know. Something in sales nowadays. Something with real estate. You know, I feel like that's where that's where the money's made, man. <laughs> I like it. What, what, what was your degree in? Communications. Okay. Take our job here, doing doing uh, yeah. podcasts, I guess. Um, follow Nick on Twitter at Nick Larusso two and Instagram Nick L forty four. Well, we're looking forward here to seeing your journey to the big leagues. Um, hopefully, one day we'll pop a bottle here in the the streets of Queens together and celebrate your uh, trip to the big leagues. Listen, you you got the experience, you got the bat, you put up great numbers. Now get to work. As Figgy know, Figgy was a guy up and down for the minor leagues. It is a grind. So you're in for the grind. But if you kill it in the minors, you know, there will be a spot for you here. And listen, if you're not a third base, there's DH now in the National League. So you got options here. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing your journey. And good luck. And thanks to you. And thanks to you, Joseph uh, Guzman, Empowerment Sports Group. Thanks for setting this up. And thanks for coming on the show. Yes, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you having me. Massick. Massac High School, Monroe and the Bills. Did you ever go to Bill's Diner? Bill's Diner. Oh, all the time. All the time. <laughs> I'll close it on that. Man, Shout out Jake, to Bill's. They have the Jake special. It's a chicken parm and a milkshake. They don't have chicken yeah, parm there. <laughs> By a bunch of a bunch of bunch of bacon, egg, and cheeses. That's right. He's a New Yorker already, folks. Bacon, <laughs> egg, and cheese. We'll close it with that. Thank you, guys. And we say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go. Let's go, Mets. All right, Figgy, great stuff there from Nick LaRusso and his agent, Joseph Guzman. Nick, uh, University of Maryland Terrapin, and again, right around the corner, Monroe. That's a cool connection. Two, two of my similar, my brother college ties, hometown ties. You don't meet many people from Monroe, Connecticut. My first shot was Walgreens. I, I was a Little League umpire, and as you know, I did call a ball when the kid swung and missed on my first ever time buying home plate. So it only went up from there. Good money, though. Little League umpire. It was better than Walgreens. You know, you were making a lot at Walgreens. Walgreens, a lot of standing. Anyways, I'll stop rambling. That wraps up episode 162 of Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast.
Thanks to the intern Nick Guzman and Andrew Hartz and Jake you as well for producing the show. Subscribe to Amazing But True on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the New York Post Sports YouTube page to watch all the episodes. Find that Amazing But True playlist. Give us a thumbs up below on YouTube and comment below how you're feeling right now about these Mets. Can they go on a run still? Follow us on Twitter at Amazing But True, at FiggyNY, and at Jake Brown Radio. Thanks to Summer, who has given me a brand new Howie Rose bobblehead. We have recovered. So a headless Howie is back. So we have a headless version and a headed version. How about that? Summer is way too good to you. You know that? She's a friend of the program. You know, she's so good a loyal listener. And shout out to her for giving me an uh, extra bobblehead. And uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of these games now, it's going to be like, all right, let's see what the promotion is. I said, <laughs> you know, I went, I'll go Tuesday. I might go actually Saturday to Fenway and then come back after the game. So I might go to Fenway Saturday, go to Subway Series, a Yankee one game next week. And then after that Subway Series game, we'll see where this team is at. Because August is going to be a hard ticket to sell. The Mets, they actually gave an extra, uh, they gave tickets for a Monday to Thursday game for the people who had to wait today for the five-hour or four-hour wait. So that's almost like they're, you know, giving them, like, something they don't want. It's like, here, take tickets. People are like, no! Anyways, enjoy the three games against the White Sox this week. Let's see Jose Quintana. Listen, if Quintana's good and Verlant, no, I'm not going to say anything. Predicament. Stop it. Just, Just stop win it. some damn baseball games. We'll be back Thursday night after that series, and then Figgy will be back after the Red Sox series. That'll be Sunday night baseball, so we'll come at you next Monday as well. We'll close it like we always do after a rare Mets victory, 3-2-1. Let's go, Let's Mets. go, Mets. Sure enough, Jones. Goodbye. I'm a crazy man. I'm a deranged man.